Right, so I am Dave. My job is to um, tame and harness that frightening technology that Donna mentioned at the beginning and uh, to enable computers to get on with what computers are really good at so that researchers can get on with what researchers are really good at. Um, so I'm the director of the, the E-Research Centre and you'll notice another logo down here which is Digital Humanities at Oxford which is something we're quite involved in. And for those of you, you, of you who haven't come across the, uh, the E-Research Centre before, let me just very briefly introduce us. Um, there are many ways of describing it and a trendy way of describing it because at the moment data scientist is a trendy word, a trendy job. Um, is there were 40 specialist postdoctoral data scientists working across all disciplines um, in Oxford and we're using the latest digital and, and computational methods and, and innovating in those. And as a result of all those sort of domain-specific and, and interdisciplinary specialist pieces, what we build up within the centre is a tremendous capability and innovation in the tools and the techniques, the structures, the methods, the, the computational structures, the data sharing, uh, infrastructures, the software and the tools that we use to do this research and that's, that's the, the value that uh, we, we provide in the centre. You can think of it as an incubator where uh, we incubator of ideas and of, of, of people, where people come in and hatch <laughs> people and ideas. Um, I also like to think of it in terms of digital scholarship. I think we are innovating in the methods of digital scholarship across all disciplines and we're not alone in that in Oxford. So we work very closely with our collaborators, many of whom are here today, uh, with the Internet Institute, with the, the Bodleian, we have Wolfram here, with IT Services, with the Oxford uh, Research Centre in the Humanities, who, who are hosting us today. Um, and if you liked all towards a vision of, of, a, of a digital Oxford, and I'm, my particular interest is in this sort of network of activity around Oxford, which is innovating in, in digital scholarship. So, for example, Digital Humanities at Oxford is running a annual summer school. My sort of narrative for these first, just a few slides is basically this. This is the equation for my talk. Um, it's really, when some people talk about digital uh, in the context of cultural heritage and of digital humanities, what they're thinking of when, uh, with the word digital is digitized. And digitized is very, very important. And we've seen that already in the talks today. Um, but I'm also interested in, in, the, in the digital methods, the digital process, and the digital things that we can do by working with a digital form of content. And this is enabling us to do research we simply couldn't do before, address research questions we couldn't do before. So that's my, that's my narrative. Um, so starting with the, the digitized, this is a, a nice example provided by Sebastian Ross, who's been working with his team with eBooks. And here we have um, sort of a, there's the image, but also the textual representation. And this is the first example of, if you like, increasing access and accessibility um, of, of the material here using ebooks. Now, that's making it more accessible to human beings who are working with this. Um, in my talk, in some sense, computers are, are users as well because they, I want to be doing the digital processing, digital analysis of the content, which brings us on to... Um, now, I, I, could, I could now have a slide about electronic enlightenment and I want to talk about Glenn Rowe, who's in, in the audience, who um, is an expert in using computers to analyze text. Um, but I'm using this, in fact, as a gratuitous opportunity to, to, to um, advertise a website. <laughs> so if I look up Glenn on the Digital Humanities at Oxford website, you'll find out about Glenn. Um, I know you can't read the small print here. You just need to read the Digital Humanities at Oxford bit. But I shall read to you 
that uh, the, the Glenn works on the challenge of big data, especially text data for humanities scholarship, text mining, machine learning, traditional textual analysis, uh, transnational republic of letters in the early modern period, uh, reception and rejection of enlightenment ideas in the 19th and 20th century France. There we go. And uh, it is just about conceivable, and we discuss this sometimes, that you could do some of what Glenn's doing without computers, but really, really, um, it, is, it is largely enabled by computers. You can do things we couldn't do before. And one of the great things about this site is, apart from telling you what people do and telling you about the projects, is it tells you something about the methods people are using. And here you can also link through to, example, for example, the Electronic Enlightenment Project. Um, so you'll find all sorts of things on there to see what's going on in digital humanities at Oxford. My point is the computers here are helping Glenn do his research. Claros is a fantastic example of this, as you've already seen the Claros slide twice. Um, in, in, in Claros, we're not working with digitized uh, image data, like in, in the previous example, we're not working with digitized text. We're actually working with, if you like, structured data, we're working with metadata, we're, um, we're, we're aggregating information from multiple institutions and museums around the planet. And as we've heard, I mean, I think, you know, we can talk about the technology, but organizationally, it's a very, very significant project to bring all that together, because again, you can do things you couldn't do before. And then you get the added value of having done that to be able to do the trick with Andrew Zissman's um, image processing that you saw in Anne's talk, where we can actually use the images as well uh, as that metadata to, to navigate that, that space and to help people find what they're looking for. Um, here's another example. Uh, which involves bringing together structured data. Now, this is uh, it's called Englade, English Landscapes and Identities. Chris Gosden's leading this project. And we're doing some of the data science and data wrangling and data carpentry, if you like, in the e-research center. Uh, and what's happening here is that uh, we have multiple data sources. And again, the significant thing is the number of different um, partners there. Now, whereas in Claros, there are some standards in place for these institutions to exchange metadata. Um, here we have data coming to us in all sorts of different formats, and uh, we're trying to link it all up. Um, and it's also uh, probably not been used en masse before. Uh, people previously would have asked these partners for individual pieces of data for individual geographical regions or sites, but now we're trying to get the whole thing and join it together, which is actually a major data handling, and I would say data wrangling exercise. But by again, as we heard before, working with linked data, we have the opportunity to bring everything together in ways that couldn't be done before. So digital, um, and here um, helping us, uh, in this case, working on um, the English landscape from Middle Bronze Age to, the, to Doomsday. So my point really is it's not just about data, which is incredibly important, and I'm very excited and happy that everyone's talking about data now, and big data, and data management plans, and data management policies, and research data management services. But it's also about the methods that we're using uh, to, to work with the data, to work with those images, to work with that text. And those are, in some sense, digital as well. So for me, in digital humanities and in cultural heritage, um, when we're working with computers, there should be just as much emphasis on what you do with the things and how computers can facilitate that aspect of research. And as an example of that, one of our colleagues in the research centre, um, Sega Lentart, who actually has a background in, in image processing, actually med medical image processing, came in and has been working with, in classics with our, our papyrology colleagues, for example, with Alan Bowman uh, and others, and um, has done a study more like a social science study, which gives me a little bit of a, a hook into Eric speaking later. Um, and actually, of the chain of expertise that's involved in going from an object, going from the artifact and the digital uh, surrogate for the artifact, 
through to the, the interpretation, the meaning, and, and the chain of expertise that's involved. But what you'll see here is also a number of digital methods that are being used on the way. So this shows the richness of the sort of digital, digital methodologies and, and also the study of those methodologies in working with um, cultural heritage and digital humanities in this digital context. And I want to close with a sort of big picture, which closes a, a, a loop that, that Anne sort of opened with the crowdsourcing. If I sort of stand back and look at this digital world, it looks a bit like this. And one of the things people may be aware of with this, this, this frightening technology is that as time goes on, the computers on our desks and the devices all around us become more and more powerful. And you hear of Moore's Law and this sort of ongoing increase in, in the power of computers, which seems to be relentless on this axis. Um, meanwhile, another very, very, very important axis for everyone in this room is more people along here, which could be more researchers, or it could be more citizens today, or it could be uh, more people across history. But I'm interested in that axis as well. And while there's been quite a lot of investment over recent years um, in providing computational and digital resources up here, for if you like, the, the head of a, of a long tail of, uh, of researchers, um, meanwhile, researchers on an everyday basis uh, are working digitally because that's the environment they're in. They're not choosing these tools. Uh, because now our next generation of students have grown up with the web. If you say before the web, their eyes just glaze over. That's prehistory. So um, we're actually in an online research world anyway. And I think the really interesting space for much of the research we do, whether it's in cultural heritage or in astronomy, um, is this area up here where we have large numbers of people involved uh, and we have a large numbers of computers and data involved as well. Big data meets big society, but that doesn't quite work. <laughs> and I call this today's research because it leads to a very interesting discussion about which way the arrow goes from here towards tomorrow, but that's for, for another day. And this is very much the, the space that uh, a lot of activity in the Research Centre is in. And so we, we, uh, you know, I'd like to close just with the other crowdsourcing examples. The, the Zooniverse um, sort of portfolio of crowdsourced citizen science projects started with Galaxy Zoo, includes all sorts of things, some, some in astronomy, but in many other areas as well. So there's, um, you can study the lives of the ancient um, Greeks there, um, and uh, you may also be aware of old weather, for example, which was working with shipping records. But here's a nice example. Uh, this is called What's the Score at the Bodleian? The URL is What's the Score? This is not a good thing to Google what's the score when the football's on because you can't find this site. Um, but um, this, is, this is really interesting. So uh, there, there, there are collections of music manuscripts in the Bodleian for which we didn't even have electronic catalogue records before. Um, and actually slightly motivated by the Google Books project, which we, we, you had to have electronic metadata before you could get things digitised, and we didn't for this material. Um, we've been through the process of digitising the, um, these, if you like, Victorian parlor, it's Victorian pop music, it's Victorian parlor music. Uh, not, not, hasn't been the subject of a great amount of musicological analysis. Um, and the idea initially was, well, we can get people to create the, the, the electronic catalogue records by crowdsourcing the transcription of the cover page on this. But then you say, well, actually, if you're doing that and using the sort of Galaxy Zoo infrastructure for this, um, you can actually also invite people to transcribe the music. It turns out People who can sight-read music can play this uh, much better than a computer can do uh, music obstacle character recognition. I mean, we tried. It's very poor. Humans are very, very good at some things. Uh, so this becomes a very interesting crowdsourcing exercise. And again, it's liberating content. And the spirit of what's the score is, you know, 
help us to describe the, the library's digital music collections, but it's sort of liberating this content that was previously just locked away, making it available. And then people using it, the performances of this are being recorded, it's being used in, in education. So really um, freeing up that, that piece of our, our cultural heritage. I think I'll stop there with that example and hand over to the next speaker.